Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on your Amazon Alexa as a skill. Um, today's podcast, we're going to take a look at some of the big movers in the equity markets this week. And to do that, we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for joining us today. Good to be back, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. So um, we're going to start off with and probably work our way down in terms of um, market cap. So we're going to start off with yeah, actually the largest uh, company that's listed on UK exchanges, and that's Royal Dutch Shell. And Alan, they cut their dividend yesterday. So they didn't completely scrap it, but they reduced it from um, around the sort of 40 cent mark down to 16 cents. So that was quite a significant move um, there. And it will obviously reduce the yield for investors going forward. How much do you think this will impact investors' propensity to invest in Shell going forward? Or do you think this is something that they'll take in their stride and look forward 12 months and say that they're probably going to increase it again at some point? Yeah, that's a very good point, Jonathan. I mean, there we were talking earlier this week and, um, you know, saying how Shell was the bellwether of the markets. And, of course, it had been paid a dividend every year since the Second World War, never really cut the dividend. And um, Box Your Uncle, a day later, you know, the the company drops a bombshell, which is probably, I think it caught the markets on the hop because, of course, BP probably against uh, against the opinion of uh, many analysts and uh, advisors, it actually kept the dividend uh, or, or, or retained the dividend for this particular quarter. Um, but then Shell, of course, uh, dropped the bombshell yesterday that would be cutting it to uh, $16, $16 or $0.16 cents a quarter, um, as opposed to the 47 um, uh, sorry, 60, $0.67 yeah, cents a quarter, as opposed to the $0.47 cents it had been previously. Um, huge surprise, uh, but, but actually, uh, given what's happened and given the backdrop to it, it's hardly, it's hardly come as a surprise, given that the airlines have more or less stopped flying, given the you know, very few cars on the road. And obviously, there's this huge backlog of tankers, uh, basically, that can't get to the storage depots because the storage depots, as we know last week, were giving the oil away. So there's this huge glut of oil in the market that has to clear, first of all. And the outlook and the recovery time from this uh, virus is still very uncertain. But going back to whether Shell's an investment case or not, um, it's one of the largest companies in the world. It's, it operates in 70 countries. It's active in every area of oil and gas, um, both in exploration and production, uh, refining, transport, uh, and so on. Um, and it also has a big presence in renewables. That's biofuels, wind, uh, wind, turbine, wind power, and, and so on. So although, yeah, this is a shock, it it is a pretty resilient operator. And let's not forget, I mean, during the quarter, the... Uh, the cash flow from op- from operating activities was nearly fifteen billion sterling. So that you know that in itself is um, is a, a considerable amount of money, and um, and I think you've got to consider here that um, that uh, compared to quarter four of two thousand nineteen, it was ten billion, 
um, and quarter, quarter one of 2019, uh, back to back, it was 8.6 billion. So that's a 72% increase uh, over the over the um, over the previous quarter. So you know there are some good things there. I think this the the dividends being cut and the outlook is uncertain, which uh, obviously has prompted the fall in the share price. But um, whilst the funds and the markets and the shareholders are disappointed. I don't see this is going to be a long-term problem. And I do believe that Shell still offers very good value at current levels. Exactly. I mean, just as we're speaking today, they're down about 7% uh, on the day, again, down to about £11.80 they're currently trading at. But one thing I would obviously highlight as well is Shell in the past have made bold decisions um, such as the uh, the acquisition of BG Group, you know, when things are, are particularly tough in the oil market, um, they have made moves that does set them up for further growth um, going forward. So I think this is probably one of those ones that's a little bit more uh, defensive, um, but I'm sure they're going to be out laying out plans behind the scenes um, for maybe possible acquisitions, maybe some consolidation within the sector. Um, so I think it's still going to be a very interesting company. They have significant levels of cash, as you mentioned there. Yeah. So um, I think the, di- the dividend cut, um, you know, is, is a negative on the face of it. Uh, but I think um, longer term, Shell, you know, will prevent, um, you know, any significant damage to their to their business model uh, through this oil crisis. So I, I think so, too. I mean, it's, it's highly cash generative uh, still, you know, it does have that spread of operations. So. So, yeah, it, it is a shock. And I think but I think also they have responsibility because they know they are so much so much an industry bellwether and relied on by the funds. I think I think the actions they take. Um, you know, obviously, for the good of the company, will also be for the good of the of its major shareholders too. So, yeah, I, I'm confident they will they will uh, steer the right course going forward. Okay, so so moving on um, and sort of work, working our, our way through some of the, the biggest stories of this week. Um, next up is the banks, Alan. So mm. we have had um, Barclays, Lloyd's, and today RBS. Um, all report their first quarter earnings. They have, it's been quite an interesting set of results from the banks because they had a relatively strong underlying um, activity and underlying profits. However, um, the provisions that were put in place for COVID-19 have wiped out much of that good work. So I think the question for investors uh, at this point, Alan, is looking at the provisions that they've put forward, is it going to be a case that this turns into a situation where in Q2 things get materially worse because they have to put uh, put aside further provisions and a obviously a reduction in profitability because obviously the economic activity has been significantly lower? Or do you think this is a um, a, a sort of one-off where they make the provisions now. Um, it's largely priced in, and sort of second quarter um, earnings, um, of course, are going to be particularly bad. But there's no um, sort of big uh, setting aside of, of capital, and, and investors will then start to look forward to an economic recovery. What's the sort of playbook uh, for the banks at the moment? Would you say? 
Yeah, very, very interesting points there, uh, Jonathan. And I think, as we said with uh, Barclays earlier this week, um, of course, the there was a huge provision there, um, but the actual underlying profits were pretty strong. Um, I mean, Lloyd's, for instance, you know, uh, Lloyd's was one of the first uh, first banks to go sort of digital, and it's uh, as such, it has industry leading costs in that area. So it's quite well quite well protected in that regard. Um, but of course, uh, again, uh, trying to sort of look into the future and and see how the banks are going to evolve is, is is a really tough call. The one thing we do know is the PPI issues are more or less behind us now, as are a lot of the legacy legacy issues. The banks have their house in order, and um, you know, let's not forget a few months ago we were talking about Lords as a possible suitor for uh, Metro Bank that we discussed beforehand. Um, so, so I think there, you know, Lloyd's generates plenty of cash, and RBS generates plenty of cash. So the, these these banks are in a good position. They've got their costs well under control, um, and I think it's really uh, it's really a question now. Uh, I, I guess with the loans that are being put in place, if the government uh, government does back the loans all the way through, then the banks will obviously make money from the interest on the loans provided. So. So that could be a good part of their recovery play. But of course, the longer the lockdown continues and the uncertainties continue uh, and spending is uh, or spending is suppressed because of that, um, it'll be it'll be uncertain. But uh, I mean, the banks are bumping on the bottom in terms of share price. So um, I think there are good recovery stories among them. And I, I do particularly like Barclays and I think Lloyd's is very good too. Yes, um, I mean, I think they have you know, shown in the first quarter that um, if, if you take the impact of COVID out there, there is some strength there. Yeah. Um, you know, they they have had um, quite an uptick in their um, underlying activity, which I think sort of shows that they're, they're you know, getting themselves um, a business model that they're finding sustainable and profitable after, you know, sharp and, and quite drastic changes since the, the financial crisis. So, I think this is a sector to very much consider on any further dips that we may see. Um, you know, there's been a big rally in the banks um, in the sort of last couple of weeks or so. I think we'll probably start to see them um, fall back um, at some point, and that could be the uh, the opportunity to to have a look at them, given the uh, the set of results that we've had this week. So. Um, before we touch on quite an exciting company in the small cap space, um, we're going to touch on one, Alan, which is, well, it used to be uh, a real FTSE 100 heavy, heavyweight, but it is uh, it's actually moving towards becoming a bit of a, a small cap stock. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it's had a huge uh, drop over the last uh, three to four years, and that's Capita. And that's taken your eye, Alan. What's uh, what's standing out for you on them? Well, I think it, it's just uh, at this time. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of volume and activity in the market, and I think I think at these times, um, you know, there are opportunities to buy stocks at knockdown prices, and certainly, certainly, Capita is one of those. I mean, the stock is the stock is literally at sort of uh, multi year multi year lows. I mean, five year lows. Currently, it's um, currently trading at uh, just under thirty-seven p, and um, that's down from that's down from sort of highs of sort of four, thirteen, fourteen pounds a few years ago. Um, 
So, so that you know, in, in this regard, it, uh, it there is a value argument there. But of course, um, you know, a lot of the uh, capital staff are, are furloughed are, are furloughed at the moment. But uh, the company has still continued to to win contracts. And of course, Capita is an outsourcing specialist. It won a, won a, a, a recent extension to. It's the Ministry of Justice contract that's worth 114 million. Um, there are there are other contract wins too with the teachers pension scheme um, contract extensions. So the company keeps on uh, extending contracts, winning new contracts, um, even even with the back with the backdrop of COVID nineteen that we have at present. So it's bumping along the bottom, but it has these contracts um, and. Uh, you know, it has also undertaken some pretty uh, some, some pretty comprehensive co- cost cutting uh, um, uh, uh, um, initiatives uh, over the past year. So, all of these things combined, you know, once the once there is a recovery, um, companies, I think, uh, given the changes that we've seen working under COVID nineteen, working from home, companies will, I think, uh, be looking to possibly outsource uh, again and if if capital can get ahead of the game here and perhaps uh, um, uh, perhaps organize for the contracts that uh, it's responsible for to be run by teams virtually working from home or in situations where they are isolated then I think they could have a really strong offering and you'd argue that with the current market capitalization you know more or less at penny share level um, it does offer a really strong chance for recovery so it, it's it just stood out to me from that from that for, for, for those reasons and I think there you've got to look across a, a wide range of, of companies to to properly assess the uh, the really good recovery place but I think capital does tick a lot of boxes in that area yeah and I mean definitely it is at bargain basement prices uh, at the moment and you know, each one of these companies, as you said, Alan, does have uh, a relative amount of support from from the government. Mm. So, you know, I mean, it did, you know, a number of years ago, fall into that more defensive uh, side of things. But obviously, there were there were some issues there, as there were in a lot of the services uh, sector. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You're right, Jonathan. I mean, we have seen that. You know, there have been problems in the past, but I think again, um, you know, the, the government. Uh, will tend to award contracts to the, the the devils that they know, and of course, Capita has been working with the government for uh, many years and delivering mostly effectively. And sometimes, uh, you know, there have been contracts that have been well documented in the past, but it's got its house in order. And I think it's probably going to be the first port of call. And being the size it is, it will have the resources to get post-COVID-19 outsourcing technology uh, in place and, and working probably earlier than its competition. Indeed, indeed. So I think that's going to be an interesting to, one to watch and we'll, uh, we will update, I think, on that at some point, uh, Alan. So we're going to finish something off, with, which is a company we actually discussed in some detail, uh, I think on a podcast, I think it was last week, uh, we uh, we mentioned this. Now, it's, a, it's an aimlessed company in Braveheart Investments. Now, they have had a monumental increase this week um, on an announcement. Now, what uh, do you've got some details on that, Alan, and and, uh, what was behind the move? Okay. Um, So 
So Braveheart Investment Group, um, uh, well, they, they, they attracted me for a number of reasons. Um, it's uh, the company, and there are, we spoke about uh, Two Shields Investments as well, which uh, had a raft of, uh, of investments into companies and other areas. But Braveheart um, basically identifies and selects investable companies. It has six investee companies. I'll just run through them quickly. Farm to Farm. Which is uh, which is nanotech for fertilizers and animal health. Um, uh, it also has a production facility which is currently being used to produce hand sanitizer. And they announced uh, 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 a few days ago that they were increasing the production to um, uh, with a, a fourfold effectively. So obviously that you know that that's been a that that will have a, a significant impact on the the the, the coffers of farm to farm. Braveheart owns 50% of that company. It has nearly 20% of Gyrometric Systems, which uh, is it's an engineering company. Um, has a 65% stake in Kirkstall, uh, which uh, has is is involved in what it calls the Vitro Cell Tech uh, or, or Vivo Vivo Cell Tech. Um, it's uh, it's in the field of respiratory disease and. Uh, there are some applications there for the COVID nineteen that the company currently looking at, but the um, the key one is Paratech, which is one hundred percent owned by Braveheart. Um, where it, uh, it again, it's um, it's it's in the gene therapy field and um, the uh, the VLP or virus like particle technology it's developing also has an application into into the uh, as as a potential treatment for coronavirus. Um, as does a spin-out from Paratec called Sentinel, Sentinel Medical. So um, it has this raft of companies, um, most of which have exposure in some way or are working uh, working to help within the crisis. Um, on the back of that, as you rightly say, when we last spoke about it, I think the shares were 13p, and they briefly touched 40p, I think it was a couple of days ago. Um, the company then uh, raised, at that point, raised 275000 and now today, it raised a further three hundred fifty thousand uh, to to uh, provide it with um, uh, with with enough capital to accelerate the growth in its key investee companies. So um, uh, obviously, that's provided a modicum of dilution for the existing shares that are an issue. But um, as as an investment proposition going forward, what I particularly like about Braveheart, apart from the fact it's got this this uh, spread of investments is that it also pays a small dividend too. Um, and uh, it, it's quite rare to find a, a small company, a, a small aim company, which is still worth just six, 6.2 million at this level um, that's paying a dividend. So I think, uh, you know, with Braveheart, you potentially get everything. You get the potential capital upside, um, obviously quite a bit of volatility as we've seen recently, but you get a dividend too. And, uh, and really what's not to like? Yes, exactly. It's, it's one of those smaller ones that is is uh, relatively um, rare in in paying dividends and and offering probably potentially quite uh, quite significant upside from here. Of those companies, Alan, which one would you say stands out to you in terms of the the companies that Braveheart Investments are invested in? Which one do you think could be the potential game changer for them. Well, I think uh, 
what I like is that uh, I don't think there's, there's just one. I, I think there's there are sort of um, they've got these the the, uh, the 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 range of investee companies that I've spoken about, and and, and Trevor Brown, the CEO, has basically said the the money will be used to accelerate and develop uh, uh, farm to farm, Kirkstall, and its other strategic investments. So so this money is going to be spread across those companies. So you could look at uh, other stocks in this field and say, well, they have a, a treatment in this part of the, the disease cycle. Um, Braveheart companies have have uh, uh, have applications in pretty well every stage of the cycle. And the fact is that that money is going to be spread to accelerate the growth of all those companies. So I think, um, I think we're going to see some very exciting news flow from the company in the weeks and months ahead. Indeed, and Alan, I'm sure that's something that we will uh, will be covering when that uh, when when that comes through. So a big move there this week from uh, from Braveheart. Now, um, just want to touch on a couple of companies reporting next week, because I'm sure myself and Alan will be discussing. Yeah. Um, so we have a Cardo Group, Alan. That's uh, that's coming up, and also Flutter Entertainment has been quite an interesting company to watch. Um, if anybody's been keeping an eye on them, they have had a you know quite a tremendous rebound from the sell-off that we saw in March. So um, we'll be touching on those, of course. Akalu, the food delivery group, um, one of the standout performers of the FTSE 100 during this uh, this lockdown period. So, Alan. Very much looking forward to having you uh, you back uh, next week. And thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure, Jonathan. And look forward to talking about Ocado and Flutter next week. Fantastic.